0: Hello Trippers, I'm Alex Zane, film journalist, movie fan and your host for another glorious episode of A Trip to the Movies. Thank you for joining me today. I am currently in our podcast studio a mile beneath the streets of London town. And in a moment, my guest this week, the wonderful actor, martial artist and filmmaker Michael Jai White takes us on his perfect trip to the movies. Thank you for downloading this episode. It is brought to you by Odeon, because if you are going to watch a movie, It has to be in an Odeon Luxe. For me, there is no better place to experience the mesmerising magic of the big screen. And when I say big, I mean crystal clear, four times sharper, larger than life, I sense big—a place where you can recline in luxury whilst sipping on your favourite tipple as you immerse yourself in the all-consuming power of this story, enriched by epic Dolby Atmos that'll make your spine tingle and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Now that is how to experience a movie, and there's no better feeling. You can book your Odeon Lux experience at odeon.co.uk or via the My Odeon app audience say we make movies better and they're not wrong also if you would like to watch today's interview in glorious technicolor do head over to our trip to the movies youtube channel where the video goes up a few days after the pod is launched and if you would like to receive all the latest updates on the show and if you want to get in touch with us you will find us at trip to movies pod that is at trip to movies pod on all social media right then if you are ready, trippers, well, let's do this. Hello and welcome to a show where each week a special guest takes us on their perfect trip to the movies. This week we are joined by an actor who is widely regarded as having brought to the big screen some of the best Fight sequences ever put on film, thanks to his phenomenal technique, holding black belts in numerous fighting styles. His eclectic movie CV includes Christopher Nolan's *The Dark Knight* (1997), *Spawn*, *Exit Wounds*, *Black Dynamite*, and last year's *Outlaw Johnny Black*. And now he is back with his latest actioner, *The Island*, hitting screens this very month. Joining me in our virtual cinema today to talk about that film, as well as taking us on his perfect trip to the movies, it's the supremely talented a Michael Jai White. Michael Jai White, wonderful to have you on the show. How are you doing, man? I'm great. You I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. Um, so, there is absolutely loads I want to talk to you about. So let's get straight into, first of all, your new movie, The Island. Give me a brief rundown. On the plot, because it's safe to say you
1: are a man out for justice. This is true. This is true. I, I'm, I'm a guy who uh, left the island and you find out for what reasons uh, later. But, I, I, you know, I investigate the, the passing of my brother. And we, we find that um, the, the culprit, the people involved, uh, you know, have, have a lot of uh, nefarious things going on in, in the island. So I not, I come back not only to avenge my brother, but to save the island I love and grew up on. So tell me when
0: this project first makes itself present in your life. Uh, is it a script? Do you read a script for the island? Is it a call uh, from your agent? Is it a meeting? How does the island first pop up on your radar?
1: Well, I, I, got, I got the script from uh, Philippe Martin, Martinez, uh, producer and you know a longtime director and just amazing person he he wrote the script he got this he, he he and I, I believe a colleague did and they studied myself and my wife they they did research they looked at interviews of, of, of us and he crafted an action movie to star us now I didn't know this at first right so when I got this script, uh from, from my manager, I read it and I was like, Wow, I mean, I I feel very comfortable in this role. <laughs> and so did my wife. And and we're we're like, wow, yeah, we we're we're all for this. This you know, and so I'm kinda like thinking, who else would they have gone to with this? This is so specific. And so um I, you know, only after when we, we met Philippe, he let us know the genesis of, of the script, and we were so flattered. It's, it's, it, I gotta tell you, it's amazingly flattering. Not only to be, you know, accepted for your work, but for someone to craft something based on who they, you know, they feel you are internally. And especially someone that has learned it and, and been around so much as, as Philippe. Uh, so, I mean, again, now that we were over the moon to, to, to do this, and, um, and, for to, to work in Nevis. So that that's the genesis of the of the script. And uh I'll, I don't know if that'll ever happen again.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. And yes, uh, the island it's St. Kitts and Nevis, isn't it? They look like a spectacular location for you to kick some ass uh, because one of the things that this role taps into is your incredible skill as a martial artist. Now, before we ta- start talking about your particular skill set i am interested to know is the stunt team that you use when you choreograph these fights is that like a traveling troop of stunt people that you work with on every film or is it done on a movie by movie basis with a new team for each film
1: it's absolutely movie by movie just just as the acting is done movie by movie i would not want to fight the same way if i'm playing a different character so one character will fight one way, another character will fight another way. It should be as unique as the character itself. And in this one, basically, you know, I traveled with my wife. We were the only one traveling there. So there's a there's a team there. Ron Belicki was the uh, the uh, the fight coordinator, and um, we we would collaborate, of course, because I've got a lot of years of actual martial arts training, and and I do a lot of uh, I mean. I, I'm, I love realism you know in the same way that you you'd like to be realistic in your acting i like to be realistic in the fight scenes as well so since i'm very versed in that it's it's always a collaborative effort to fuse together the you know the extraordinary but make it feel like it's rooted in truth
0: yeah and uh, and, and that realism uh, clearly comes from years of training which you have done at so, in the most basic level, let's just establish what martial arts are you a black belt in?
1: Well, oh boy, yeah, there's a, there's several. I've, I've got some here: uh, Shotokan, Tang Taekwondo, Goju, Kyokushin, uh, um, uh Kobudo. Uh, these are different different uh, arts, and I and I've done Wushu Kung Fu as well. I, I have yet to do that on screen yet, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to uh, being able to. to you know, show the wushu that I've done for years. Uh, But each martial art has its contribution, you know. Um, And so I look at that like I kind of apply that in life too. So when I would get a black belt in one thing, I like to put a white belt on in another thing. So it keeps the, the learning going. So when it comes
0: to preparing for a role, are you constantly having to factor into your life the training the diet, the the lifestyle choices, all these things that you have to be aware of and maintain so that you're able to perform in those scenes.
1: No, it's, it's, it's so part of my lifestyle. I would feel unbalanced if I didn't train, you know. So it's – and I look at it as a luxury. I look at training and working out and eating right as a right, you know, it's, it's not a task. It's, it's, I, I don't know. It, it's lovely. It's, it's, it's in it. you know, it's, it's such a gift to be able to do that and feel good. And I don't know, it's, it's, I I, I, oh, three days without working out, it makes me feel unusual.
0: So in terms of your ability, there was a story that I think it was about a year, maybe two years ago, came out, uh, People were talking about an experience at Legends MMA Training Center in Los Angeles, and it was uh, the conversations seemed to all be, be about your perfect technique and how this perfect technique meant that you arrived there and were asked to show off your ability. And you kicked a punch bag so perfectly that the chain holding the bag actually snapped. Can you confirm if? That is true.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. I I believe uh, Joe Rogan um, spoke about that quite a bit. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, with proper technique and the fact that I'm a larger guy, you know, I've always, I never looked at martial arts as, um, I never wanted to use my size as a crutch. So I've always wanted to keep myself as technical as someone half my size. And that's one of the reasons I did wushu, which is very, very um, acrobatic to some degree. And you normally don't see people my size doing it. But for me to put myself through that makes me better. You know, I, I, I love the strive for perfection. And so when you have um, accomplished technique at my size, it translates into, you know, a lot of power. Uh, so you know that that would you know that's you know you know with destructive power comes uh, all like that. So you definitely did it.
0: That's that's awesome. Thank you for confirming that because there was a little bit of a conversation about the exact details, but that's great to get confirmation and
1: congratulations. Well, thank you, thank you. But I mean, but it, you know I'm a little because it's not it's not like I did it on on purpose, you know. But you know it's a. Uh, I don't want to go around destroying things. I I did think the bag would have, it was quite a big bag, so I thought it would would hold up, but it
0: did So while we're talking technique, obviously that plays a huge part in the choreographed fight scenes in all your films, having the right technique and being able to perform these fight sequences with no one getting injured. I did see on Instagram, you said that on the set of The Island, I think the wording was, uh, someone got punched, the stuntman got punched. I ain't saying who did it, but it wasn't me <laughs> has that actually ever happened to you
1: oh being punched in the face oh yeah yeah but you know that happens when i'm working out it's it's I, i'm a i'm a bit of a weirdo cuz even even sparring when i get hit well the first thing i do is laugh about it even though, even though it sucks like it, there's a part of it that i that i weirdly like uh, celebrate but and you know I I grew up you know, as a kid I was I, I played rough and so sometimes you get hit um nobody intends on really doing it you hope, you, know, you hope they don't but yeah every now and then something will slip but um you know not not terribly because you know you, you usually work with people who are professional and and they don't intend to hurt It's really interesting because I was reading um, a book on action
0: stars called last action heroes. And there was a a whole chapter on Steven Seagal and it talks about how he became quite famous for actually, I think the phrase is tagging, hitting the stunt people he was working with in choreographed fight sequences. He'd hit them for real.
1: Yeah. He, uh, he, yeah, he's very well known for doing it. And I've, I've seen it firsthand. Um, it's it's not his. It's not a. It's not a nice thing. I mean that, you know. He does it with people he can get away with doing that to.
0: I get you. Yes. Yeah. I get you. Uh, so to go back to the beginning of your journey, which is what I want to do now, tell me what sparked the interest in martial arts in your life in the first place. Where did it begin for you?
1: Well, I, to be honest with you, it had to be insecurity. I tell you uh growing up in in bridgeport in, in in um in brooklyn I was a very insecure kid i mean i i was you know i had the 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 heart of a of a an artist but I grew up in a very rough area and what you tend to do is build armor and so my armor was the martial arts i and when I closed my eyes to dream or you know daydream i i I'd, I'd become this monolith you know and I trained and I wanted to be able to you know create that that you know armor for my you know my heart and you know because a lot of things affected me more than like say my brother who grew up in the same household so i delved deep into the martial arts and luckily i i got my security through that
0: well michael we are going to be talking more about your career as we go on this journey because you have very kindly agreed to leave this reality and enter a dimension of pure film where our virtual cinema awaits you are our guide we are your audience let's go on a trip to the movies so we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer there's an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer the hum of anticipation it's your perfect cinema trip michael who have you picked living or dead to go with you
1: I'm picking my wife, Gillian White. Absolutely. That is my best friend. And I I have the best time with her than any person on the planet.
0: I think I saw a quote from you saying that Gillian has made you the best version of you.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's true. I had to become the best version of me to justify being with her. Or, Or, you know. It wouldn't have made sense.
0: So in terms of actually working together on films, was that just a natural evolution? Was it a case of, you know, we get on so well, we work in the same profession, why don't we start making movies together? Was there ever a conversation about, should we or shouldn't we do
1: this? No, it's, it's just very natural. It's like if you you make each other the best versions of themselves. And so, I mean, we naturally did everything together and she trained with me in martial arts. Uh, That wasn't a plan. We just she enjoyed it. She's an athlete, uh, you know, and so she enjoyed training with me. We never had a plan for her to do movies. So these things just naturally happen. And as it, as it is, it's hilarious now that like, I was just on a set a couple of days ago on something that, uh, that i I've just been hired for I'm an actor in the piece, and it's almost like people are wondering like well where's Gilead i'm like well she's she's not in this cast, <laughs> but it's like people expect to see the two of us. It, it's a weird thing, but it's a lovely thing but in, in in my the TV show that um I'm one of the leads in uh, kingdom business it was it was the the producers. Who asked to to have Gillian join the cast <laughs> as my love interest? So it's nothing. It's nothing of that. We're it, it's just happening, happening naturally. This movie again happened naturally. It's not you know. I know folks would think that we were behind it. But it's just not the case,
0: right? Then, Michael, it's you and your wife Gillian going to the cinema. So, there's a clock on the wall in the foyer. It reads a specific time. What time of day are we going to the cinema?
1: We're going at one o'clock because our, our daughters, are, our, da- our daughters are in school. There's we don't really like crowds. The popcorn is fresh. <laughs> there's almost nobody in the theater, so. You know, and if there's nobody in the theater, we could talk about it <laughs> we could you know so so yeah it's it's like a, a a massive theater you know sometimes to ourselves
0: solid, solid reasoning there, and very considerate if you want to talk, have an empty auditorium. I'm happy with that. I like it, Michael one pm it's when we're going all right, you booked. The tickets for this trip, Michael, thank you very much. Where in the auditorium are we going to be sitting?
1: Well, if I booked the ticket, that will be like the first time ever. <laughs> so, you know, that's in a dream sequence, I guess. Because She usually books them because she's good at that type of stuff. But we always try, try to get the middle, middle. Um, there's a theatre we go to. We get, you know, these luxury chairs that recline and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you try to get dead centre. So they are the
0: most popular seat choices on the show. Middle of the middle, the seats where, according to numerous guests, the perfect cinema sound can be found. Okay, the final thing we need before we begin our journey towards the auditorium is, oh, the air in the foyer is full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available at the various counters. What are you choosing to eat?
1: It's going to be Popcorn. That, that's a, that's a safe one. and It's a fun one, you know. Um, she she teases me for my technique because I I have a this technique of I just I you know just shovel it in my mouth like that. But uh, and then if you know you know I strategically try to crunch like around the you know in the silent portions of it. But yeah, it, it's it's popcorn every time.
0: Okay, so in the UK, we have two uh, options for popcorn. Uh, well, three. So you can have sweet or salted or a mixture of the two. Those are the only options in the UK. I believe that's different in the US. What are you having on your popcorn?
1: Oh, it's, it's salty. It's, it's salty. And you know if she's making it, it's going to have a lot of butter in it. Okay,
0: we have got everything we need. It is time to leave the foyer. And we push open the doors into the corridor that leads down towards the auditorium. Now, the corridor is looking pretty bare at the moment. So what I'm going to do is put up some posters that depict your most important movie memories, Michael. And the first poster I'm putting up depicts your fondest movie memory. I
1: think my fondest movie movie memory might be... Oh, like when when I saw Grand Canyon for the first time, I saw Grand Canyon, and I, I learned that movies could be like real life, and uh, I thought, wow, who made this movie because it was so truthful? I felt like it, it you know, it was this ensemble thing that just made me kind of want to do movies.
0: So I don't think I've seen. Uh, this movie Grand Canyon is a gap on my movie CV so tell me a little bit about this movie and why it is your fondest movie memory what you loved about it
1: well it's hard to say what the movie is because it was it was one of these movies where like you, you it's very realistic there's, there's a uh, there's uh a Kevin, um, Kevin Klein um, uh, Alfie Woodard uh, uh, Steve Martin There were such a, a uh, an array of actors who had all these different lives that kind of came in and in, intertwined with each other. Uh, and it just was like this slice of life reality. It was the first movie of its type that I've seen. There's a lot of movies like that now, like um, Crash. i you familiar with Crash. This was the first Crash for me. Yeah, so, and I was quite young when I saw this, and I thought, wow, movies could be like real life. And and I was so surprised because whoever made that movie really knew uh, really knew people and uh, an array of people because I think they were very truthful. Especially there was this um, there was this uh, inner city story that involved Alfred Woodard and and uh, or bringing up a, a, a son who was trying to kind of you know he was kind of in the middle of the. The gang life in LA, and it was so truthful. And I wasn't used to seeing movies that depicted that type of lifestyle truthfully. I didn't, I didn't see that till later, until I saw uh, *Ministry Society*. But I was really shocked at just the the uh, the span of true true to life storytelling in that movie.
0: Right then, that is our first poster going up: *Grand Canyon* depicts your fondest movie memory okay we continue down the corridor it's time to put up our second movie poster and this poster michael depicts your worst movie memory
1: oh yeah that's easy i was like maybe six or seven and i went with my brother and my older cousins to see five fingers of death which was the first martial art movie that i ever saw i was way too darn young and they were and they were ripping out people's eyeballs. Well, you know, in the movie. And it was horrific to me. And not only did I have to watch people getting their eyeballs poked out and the guy would hold, you know, and then, the, you know, this guy was, you know, it was like, ah, and he's still getting beaten up with, with no, no eyeballs. I'm like, this is horrible. But I had to see it two, two more times because at this time, when we are young, you'd see the movies over and over. And, you know, we had to you know, watch that like, Two or three times. And it's amazing that I would be in the martial arts. That didn't run me away from it. But yeah, that was that was horrific. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I got even with my brother later on. So
0: that's okay. And what was your revenge? There's too many things to, <laughs> to choose. So this movie, Five Fingers of Death, I think I'm right in saying uh, this came out in the US. This predates Enter. The Dragon, and, and this really was the movie that started the Kung Fu craze in America in the 70s.
1: I believe it was the first martial art movie released it, re- released in America. There was a guy named Lo Lee. Uh, it, and it, it was weird because it used... Uh, it was a uh, the theme from Ironsides, a TV show that, that starred Raymond Burr. And the theme, they used that theme in the movie when he gets the five fingers of death, he basically does the—he basically gets the the iron fist. He plunges his hands into hot coals, and and he gets this glow. His his hands radiate, and then the theme from Ironside starts to play. I gotta watch this movie again. <laughs> but it's, I mean, this movie—it's got to have been, I mean, really early seventies. And.
0: Quentin Tarantino pays a very literal homage to this movie, Five Fingers of Death, in Kill Bill, doesn't he? Because um, the uh, wee, 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 it's better in the movie. Uh, When a fight starts in Kill Bill, that's from Five Fingers of Death. And, of course, the um, the eye gouge in Kill Bill Volume 2. That's
1: it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Right then, that is a poster for The Five Fingers of Death going up as your worst movie memory. Next up, we're putting up a poster that depicts the last performance, Michael, that brought you to tears.
1: That would have to be Blue You. That movie, yeah, that, they crafted the ending so well. That was like a slow burn. And it, 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 if anybody wants to get a cry out, see that movie. It hit you unexpectedly too. Okay, so
0: this movie Blue Bayou. This only came out in 2021, so we won't do the ending. We won't do a spoiler, but it's safe to say you love this film.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's it's, a, it's an amazing movie. And and were you in the cinema
0: when you cried? Were you were you in public? Do you do you mind crying in public? For the record, I cry in the cinema all the time. <laughs>
1: Uh, no, I'm not happy to cry in public. I, I, that, the last time I did that, I think I was born. Wait, 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 wait.
0: <laughs> so the last time you cried was when you were born.
1: Yeah, a doctor slapped me, a doctor slapped me and held me upside down.
0: I mean, this is a huge vote of confidence for the film, Blue Bayou. Uh, they should put that on the poster. It <laughs> made Michael Jai White cry for the first time since he was born.
1: Well, well we're talking publicly. Publicly
0: crying. <laughs> okay, it's time for our final poster, Michael, and this final poster depicts your unpopular movie opinion.
1: My un- unpopular movie opinion? Well, yeah, a lot of people get mad at me on this one. They or they don't they don't agree with me on this one, but I did not enjoy Usual Suspects. Whoa. Probably because I'm too close to movie making or something. I saw the movie early, right? When, you know, I, it wasn't so much of a, a big, you gotta go see it type of thing. Well, early in the movie, uh, you know, Gabriel Byrne is sitting there. He's kind of like, uh, you know, earl, you know like, like the first scene in the movie. Someone approaches him, and Gabriel Byrne looks foiled. And he, so there's this mysterious person who is carrying a gun in his right hand and then moves the gun to his left hand. And then there's a camera move that goes from his right hand to his left hand. Gable Byrne registers. There's a shot. He's looking from the guy's right hand to his left hand. And I'm going, what the hell? Why are they doing so much to show that this, this assailant is left-handed? Or, and then why, if you were right-handed, Why would you put your gun in your left hand to shoot someone? Why? And so I'm sitting there going, why all the attention to this person shooting a gun with their left hand? And so the next, the moment I see Kevin Spacey with a lame left hand, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, okay, I don't know what this movie is about, but that's the guy that just shot him. I thought it was about, I mean, so so I'm, I'm sitting there going, what the hell? Okay, if these guys are so suspicious of everything, please ask him about his left hand. Please, just, just, please, just give me Kevin Spacey. Just give me, give me a scene where he explains something happened to his left hand, so so I can at least put this to bed. So go, okay, they did their work. They, but so the whole movie, I'm like that guy.
0: Okay, so this is one of the biggest twists in movie history. And you're saying that it was blindingly obvious to you from the very
1: start. I didn't even know that it was supposed to be a whodunit. I'm like, why are they showing this guy shooting a gun with the left hand? That's so bizarre because I'm just thinking reality. I'm always thinking reality. So I'm going, who would do that? Boom. What, like, just think of yourself doing that. Just if you were right handed, why would you shoot a gun with your left hand? And then all the fanfare of, I mean, there's a camera that goes, you, that tracks the gun moving from the right hand to, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too close to it, but to me, that was like, come on now.
0: Okay, on oh, my unpopular movie opinion rating system from one to five, that gets a full five. That is a <laughs> a good one. You saw the twist from the start. You think the filmmakers made it obvious?
1: I'm, I'm mad at them because they didn't offer a, a, at least a suggestion of you know, like this, just 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 lie and say that you blew your left hand up or something like that's all. You know, I I know it's you, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> but just give us a reason that all these guys, nobody would question you. Everybody just believes you. And, you know, I thought everybody knew it's this, this guy. But it's just me, I guess. All right
0: Michael we've reached the last set of doors and we push them open and enter the auditorium now before we get to the movie you've decided to play for us this evening this afternoon at 1 p.m. it's first time to play a few other things on the big screen and the first thing we're going to play is a trailer for the movie you are most looking forward to seeing at the cinema
1: well that well that would be tr- trouble man
0: so tell me about Trouble Man, because uh, this has a, a great cast, yourself, Orlando Jones, Method Man in it. It's an action comedy. You tell me.
1: Yes, it's an action comedy. Got some drama, and romance, everything in it. So here you know, I'm, I'm playing a character very really, uh, reminiscent of uh, a shaft, like an updated shaft. And, you know, uh, we've lost... Uh, We lost Richard Roundtree this past year. Rest in peace. I was lucky to work with him and know him, uh, know him quite well. Uh, But you know, I want to do homage to what he what he's done and what he's left us with. And um, yeah, I grew up on movies like this, and there's far too few of them. So I was happy to try to fill this void. And I think this is this
0: is your fourth time directing a movie. This is movie number four.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess it's the, technically the fourth time director. I've, I've directed some things that I'm not credited for, but but um, yeah, you know, it's a it's four or five. I, I'm not sure.
0: And you've written it as well. Um, so talk to me about the writing process. When it began? When did you start working on Trouble Man?
1: Well, the script was uh, originally written um, somewhere close to twenty. It was a version of it twenty years ago. Um, and i'd uh you know it 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 you know didn't it didn't uh it 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 got passed on but i believed in it and I, and i then would do rewrites on it and so i'd been rewriting the thing uh, for <laughs> almost a couple of decades i you know years would go by i'd go back to it and then uh it got to the place where i you know it it was uh it, it was sought after And then we got, you know, got a chance to do it. And it's coming out later this year, right towards the
0: end of the year. Is it September?
1: Yeah, September. Uh, yeah, uh, Yeah, we finished shooting it just at the end of November.
0: Okay, that is the trailer for Trouble Man we have played on the big screen. Now it is time to play on the big screen. The movie moment that makes you literally or metaphorically pump your fist in the air.
1: My moment? <laughs> is uh, I am Indigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. Oh yes. And by the time uh, Mandy Patinkin says, you know, when, when the guy says, uh, uh, I, I mean, when Christopher Guest says, uh, you know, Patinkin gets him to, to promise him anything, you know, and you know, when, what does he want? You know, he wants his father back. You know, and it just kicks him out. That's just that moment is just so. I just love the build to that moment. That's my favorite triumph moment. That's it.
0: You're absolutely right, isn't it? It's the build because it's the rule of three. I think he says three things. I think he says, yeah. offer me money, promise me power too, and then offer me everything yeah. I ask for. And the guy yes. goes, Christopher Guest goes, anything you want. And then it's. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Yes. So good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, uh, I can't, you know. I mean, they, they, talk about a build into a crescendo, and that's just, it, it is humor, everything. That just, that that arc is, is everything to me.
0: Ah, oh, and he's a great villain as well. Count Rugen, mm-hmm. Christopher Guest, who you mentioned, plays him. A Really, really good villain. Yeah. I'd love to know, because... You've worked with one of modern cinema's great villains. He's often mentioned on the show. You're fantastic in The Dark Knight, and you saw firsthand Heath Ledger, the late Heath Ledger, performing as the Joker. What was that like to witness in that room when he gatecrashes that meeting? Because it's really the first time where we really get to meet the Joker.
1: Well, Heath was just amazing to work with. And, I mean, he was so playful and, and... Approachable. And there were times where you you, you want to, you know, I was just trying to give him his space, but you know, he wouldn't have any of that. He, he was really just very pleasant, and uh, I, you know, because I I was shocked just being that is is Christopher Nolan, and then you got like Heath Ledger there, you know, you just kind of go, wow, you know, you got these people on this, you well, know, really incredible level, but two of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. I'm like. Because Renauld is just so kicked back, and you know it was just so unexpected. Uh, so that was a wonderful opportunity. It was a really wonderful opportunity. And no tension, no stress, what whatsoever on that like that I saw.
0: Do you know that's amazing to hear? Because obviously Heath Ledger tragically passed before the film came out, and his his death has he almost become kind of mythologized in terms of. The role that he was playing and this character, and that he never broke character on set. He he was the Joker, and it was the role that that overcame him. And you're saying that wasn't the case, and and that wasn't what he was like on set, which is fascinating to hear.
1: Yeah, I, I I really can't stand when people try to connect that. It's more it's it's more about them than the reality of the situation because. It's not like he had some darkness that—that's I mean, that, a narrative everybody wants to write. He did not pass away on a dark night. He—he passed away during the filming of Doctor Parnassus, <laughs> the uh, honorary uh, the imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, a completely different movie, and, and it had nothing to do with the dark. Knight. I mean, like I said, this guy was playful on set. He was doing magic tricks. We we would we would. We would uh, trade magic tricks. We we, we like to do sleight of hand stuff and everything. And I, his playful quality came through. You know when he's, you know, got the the, the uh, hand sanitizer and things like that. it showed he, he he was in a playful uh, kind of situation. I, I I don't know. You know, I wasn't in every scene with him, but around it, what I saw was a a guy that was very much not in character. You know, so. I I don't I don't like to buy into that dark thing because it's the timing is off tremendously off, but people really want to connect it with with Dark Knight. Yeah, I mean that's so interesting
0: to hear because that does seem to be the narrative that was out there for a long time and still in some corners is because the character is so famous and and somehow by becoming the Joker yeah I think it's um I'd it. say I think people said he was a method actor. that's right. people said he was a method actor and because he was a method actor, he couldn't leave the character behind or something like that
1: Well, he 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 left the character behind and he was doing another character <laughs> you know and, and i mean that was not was not like the joke so that's just you know just people want to write they want to write what they see in their head.
0: Right then, time to play something else on the big screen. And this time we're going to play what you, Michael, consider cinema's most shocking moment.
1: I would have to say the most shocking moment that I've experienced was the end of Friday the 13th. I believe it was the first. When Jason jumps out of the water and snatches the woman. Man, everybody in the theater jumped up. So that's... I don't know. I don't know if you can get more shocking than that. That that freaked out everybody.
0: That's a great one. That's a great one. I think that is one of cinema's greatest ever, if not, oh my God, going out on a limb here. The greatest ever jump scare. That is so scary. How old were you when you saw it?
1: I don't know. But they've been doing that jump scare to death, have they not? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, that that jump scare is like, I don't know. That just, they should, too bad that, that uh, Friday the 13th doesn't have royalties on the jump scare thing.
0: Right then, so cinema's most shocking moment. We are playing the jump scare, possibly one of cinema's greatest ever jump scares, from the end of Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th. Next, through the Dolby Atmos speakers, Michael, we are going to play the piece of dialogue or line from a movie that has most affected you.
1: I think I'm Un- unforgiven. Yeah, I think I'm about him when uh Glenn Eastwood says uh you know, it's hell at a band killing a man. take away all these has, you know, you know, all these guys and all he'll ever have. I love the fact that he rooted this this genre that he was so much a part of, but he rooted it so deep in reality, you know, uh for that movie. That was just so cool. And then it's like, I don't know, I looked I looked at it a little beyond movies, is that that leapt from a film to reality to me because that's what is going on, uh, when anyone takes a life, you know, uh, and to even think about that. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of outreach and, um, motivational speaking in, 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 um, at risk communities. And that really is something that I kind of it's, it's, you know, that, that statement has really affected my life and made me look at things a, a certain way.
0: It is quite a moment in the film because it's the moment where there's the young actor who plays the Schofield kid. I forget his name. And he has been bragging throughout the movie about how many men he's killed and how easy it is to do it. And then in that moment, you find out that was all a lie and he's taken a life for the first time and you can really see the effect it's had on him in that scene.
1: Yeah. That moment that echoes to today. There's so many youngsters who want to get that badge of honor and, you know, want to be badasses and all that type of stuff. Not thinking about the, the, the real depth of the whole thing and how it affects their lives. And, um, and I just love that moment because it brings that that kid into reality as well. Doesn't want to be a gunfighter anymore, you know. And I, you know, I, and I wish this day and age uh, our young, you know, kind of impressionable kids can can look deeper into what um, that badge of honor, that false badge of honor, might really uh, be. You know. So yeah, that, I think that's a one of the most powerful minds uh, in the in movie mystery to me. Right, on to
0: our penultimate question before we find out which movie you have picked for us to watch tonight. Michael, it's time to play through the Dolby Atmos speakers, the best use of music in a movie.
1: Got to be Saturday Night Fever. And I was thinking about, I almost said Purple Rain, but Saturday Night Fever is, that's, I mean, to, to think that that music was done separately from, from the movie. But I didn't know that. I did not know that. Separately. And all of those hits that the Bee Gees did, without seeing the movie, they didn't see the movie. They didn't see the movie. So it's, a, it's amazing. It, no, no songs could fit a movie better. They didn't know what the movie was. Yes, yeah, so that can't be top.
0: Right, Michael, it is now time to reveal to Gillian and myself, who's still here, a bit of a gooseberry, what we are watching at 1pm in the middle of the middle of this auditorium out of all other movies. What have you picked for us to watch, Michael?
1: The movie I picked for you to watch tonight, that's going to be, Outlaw Johnny Black, because because I'm trying to, you know, well, I, I tend to like movies that just touch on several things at once. And even though, you know, I wrote it and directed it and what have you, you know, I want to share what what, you know, kind of uh, makes me tick. And I, I have such a love for the Western genre a love for I'm a, I'm a child of Monty Python. I'm a child of, of uh, great Westerns and, you know, like we talked about with Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven and all these things. I think it's a movie that wraps our entire conversation up in one movie. You know, so that would be the movie I would want people to go out and see. And there it is, Outlaw Johnny
0: Black has finished playing on the big screen. The curtains are closing. The guests are milling out, smiling, chatting and thanking you for taking them on an incredible afternoon at the movies. But before you go anywhere, Michael, it is time for the big question. Time for you to tell us an exclusive never-before-heard story about your career, past, present or future.
1: Okay, this is, this is, I get chills thinking about this. It doesn't seem to, one of the most bizarre things that ever happened is in, I believe it was about 93. I was uh, the lead, um, I was, uh, I was considered the lead for a movie uh, called Build a Fort, Set It on Fire. It was from propaganda films. It's the, uh, I was considered to play the life of Jean-Michel Basquiat to play the lead. What? Yes. And it was the most bizarre thing one of the most bizarre things I've ever experienced because I I I read the script. No well first I, I got got the audition. Um I was unknown. I just done theater. I you know, I had a theater background. But I you know, knew it was about Jean Michel Basquiat and I'm going, There's no way I could play this guy. I'm two hundred and thirty five pounds and muscular. This guy is an artist that was famously on heroin and he was maybe a hundred pounds. Uh, so I reacted to the audition thinking, okay, well, I'll clearly be auditioning for something else because there's no way on the planet that I could play this role. But I kept getting callbacks. And when I get callbacks, it would be me in a room full of Lindy Kravitzes. You know, like, and so I'm like, okay, maybe you know, maybe they're thinking about me as the bodyguard. For this. I don't know what's going on, but I kept going, getting callbacks, and eventually joined a Ray, who was one of the top casting directors at that time. She really was rooting for me, and she loaned me a video cassette of uh, Jean Michel Basquiat, a, a birthday party that a friend of his gave her. So she wanted me to study it for my next uh, callback. And I look at it at home, and sure enough, I mean, the guy's little. He's like, and I'm like, what are they seeing? What's going on? I feel like this is a a long prank being pulled on me. And so I go for yet another audition. There's only a couple of of Lenny Lenny Kravitzes left, right? And so, and then next thing I know, I'm the guy reading with people other people who are auditioning. And I'm going, do you see me? Like, what's going on? And so this most bizarre thing, I'm reading with major actors. And they're like, this is our guy. Eventually, that, that project got shelved, right? It got put on hold. I forget what happened. I don't know if it had something to do with financing or whatever. But in that next year, I landed the role of Mike Tyson. And so that was my launch and he, the next year, they were, they revamped the script and they called it Basquiat. And Joanna Ray and everybody were contacting me. We've get, we're getting it going again. And I'm like, clearly you must be out of your mind. Now you see, I did a movie as Mike Tyson. I am enormous. I can't possibly. And so I didn't respond. I just was like, I'm not going to make a fool out of myself. You guys, I don't know what you're thinking of. I, I, I to, to be honest, I felt like I had a good grasp on the character, but I have a good grasp on reality as well. And me walking around shirtless as a heroin addict, I mean, really, that's not, that's not going to make sense. Years later, and here's the the final. Years later, when I met up with uh, with Joanna Ray, when um, during uh, Kill Bill, I asked her, "Okay, Joanna." You, between you and me, years back when you guys were considering me for a Basquiat, what were you thinking? Did you not notice the size I was? She says, oh, we just figured that you'd lose weight. I'm like, total, they were totally, just, just they had no sense of reality. You know, if I had gotten down to, maybe physically I could have gotten down to 180, but I would have been ripped to shreds. I would have looked like an anatomy. I would like a fitness, like prof- professional, and you know. So that's my story. Never told it to anybody. To this, to this day, yeah. That
0: is an incredible story, Michael. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, what a wonderful answer to the big question. And that is it. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But Michael, before you go, let's recap your perfect trip. To the movies. You are going with your wife, Gillian, at one in the afternoon. You are sitting in the middle of the middle and you are having popcorn with salt. We're putting up some posters as we make our way down the corridor towards the auditorium. The first poster depicts your fondest movie memory, and that is seeing the movie Grand Canyon. The next poster depicts your worst movie memory, and that depicts a poster But the 1970s Kung Fu movie, five fingers of death and some eyeballs being ripped out. Your third poster depicts the last performance that brought you to tears, and that is the unbelievably heart-wrenching ending of 2021's Blue Bayou. And the final movie poster we are putting up depicts your unpopular movie opinion, and that is... That you do not like The Usual Suspects and that you think the twist is obvious from almost the very first scene of the movie on my unpopular opinion rating meter. (sighs) That gets a five. That gets five out of five for unpopular movie opinion. Congratulations, Michael. Next up, we're playing the trailer in the auditorium for your upcoming movie Trouble Man out later this year. Next up, we're playing the movie moment that makes you literally or metaphorically pump your fist in the air. And that is the end of Inigo Montoya's fight in The Princess Bride, where he says, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Ending with that incredible line. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. So, next up, we're playing what you consider cinema's most shocking moment, and that is the jump scare at the end of the original Friday the 13th. I'd argue one of cinema's finest jump scares. Next up, we are playing the line of dialogue in a movie that most affected you. It's from 1992's Unforgiven. It's a hell of a thing killing a man. You take away all he's got and all he's ever gonna have next the best use of music in a movie and that is saturday night fever and the bg soundtrack and the use of the bg songs in that movie and finally we are watching your movie outlaw johnny black on the big screen michael thank you for taking us on this trip to the movies it's been a pleasure chatting to you
1: well thank you thank you i had a good time
0: And as Michael's cab carries him out of this dimension, away from our virtual cinema, back to reality, we must all leave his movie paradise as well. But to soften the blow, how would you like a pair of tickets to a night out at a very real Odeon Cinema all you need to do is leave a comment on one of our social pages, be it Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube, and each week we will pick someone's comment, read it out, and that person will get a pair of tickets to their nearest Odeon to enjoy a film the way it should be watched in the beautiful embrace of the darkness of a cinema. So give us a follow and leave a comment. We are at Trip to Movies Pod, or just search a trip to the movies. The competition is only open to UK residents, and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode don't forget you can find the full video for today's michael jai white interview and indeed for every guest on our trip to the movies youtube channel so please do head over there and as i said do hit that subscribe button and help us grow this podcast and that really is it i'll be back next week when another guest fills our cinema with their celluloid dreams as they take us on a trip to the movies bye-bye